Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Musai Collective. I'm your host, Lindsay Cabrera, and this is episode two of season two. I'd also love to hear your comments in the Apple Podcast reviews if you'd like to leave me one there. Today, you'll be meeting Harriet Trower, also known as Glorious in her local community. Harriet is an environmental educator and permaculture consultant. She is fascinated by the intimate intertwining of social justice and environmental justice and has been an activist since her teens. With Harriet, there is always a burning desire to learn, to grow, and to evolve. She has a loving dedication to education and enjoys offering shared learning experiences. She discovered that experiential learning activities are her jam and that learning by play and storytelling was fun and very effective. During the great pause of 2020, she had time to reflect and nourish her core being and is eternally grateful for prizing adaptability and resilience. She joined a COVID crisis response coalition called Cabarete Sostenible in April 2020 as a volunteer in the community garden. She lovingly shares her knowledge and design skills to local residents and other volunteers to ensure food sovereignty and sustainable regenerative practices are part of the future. She will continue to empower seed keepers, land guardians, and harvest sharers worldwide. Today, we discuss her path in permaculture, the community garden for non-for-profit Cabarete Sustainable, climate anxiety, and much more. You can follow this permaculture musai on Instagram at hdt13. I hope you enjoy this episode, and here's Harriet Trower on Musai Collective. Hello, Harriet. How are you? It's so good to have you here on Musai Collective in the space in Cabarete. And just to let everyone know, we're here where we actually do breath work and where we met in Sabrina Estrita's vortex called The Space. She was actually on one of the episodes in season one. And today we're going to dive into Harriet's story with permaculture and environmentalism. And I'm so excited to share your story with everyone and get into this topic, which I think is super important right now. With, with everything that's happening in the world. Welcome. Mm, thank you so much, Lindsay. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> Amazing. So you're up to so many wonderful environmental projects. And I'd like to start off by having you share your origin and how you got started in permaculture. Also, can you let our listeners know what exactly is permaculture? Sure. So I'm originally from the UK and we've had an allotment from when I was born and my granddads are both keen gardeners as well. And fast forward, I was living in Madrid and I was teaching English at a school there and I just did not want to be there. there. It was exam period and all of these children were just so stressed. I remember they come out in spots, like they weren't sleeping well. And it was really, it was really terrifying to see children like that and reminding me of my own school days as well. And um, I remember that week I'd read something on the internet about how British children go outside less than prisoners do. Oh, so wow. prisoners have more access to outside spaces than children did at school. So then mixing this with my own feelings of being in this school with these children, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need, I need to teach in a different capacity and that needs to be outside. So I like made a little vow to myself that I wouldn't teach in an inside classroom in a traditional school. Yeah. So I spent many days on the internet going down some rabbit holes and finding something that 
just got me out of this situation. And after after many days, I found something called permaculture. And I was like, huh, what is this <laughs> new word? And after a bit of um, investigation and obviously this this intensive course, it was 12 days. It was incredible with um, supernatural permaculture um, with Ras John. And it was very overwhelming. Like the, there's a lot of information to do with permaculture and I will try my best to convey this concept so permaculture has the words permanent, agriculture and culture all together. And it was first coined in Australia by a guy called Bill Mollinson. And he had researched a lot and used a lot of indigenous knowledge from all over the world as well as mm, like design processes and more 21st century technology all together. And he came up with this with this incredible design concept. So it's kind of like design and science together. And it's a whole systems approach. So you, you take a look at everything. You take a, you zoom out and you take a look at the bigger interconnected picture, which is what we are. Nature is that mm. it's interconnected. We're complex and it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's not just a way of gardening. It's a way of life that you can apply to your, your home life, you can apply to your business, you can apply um, these main three ethics, which are earth care, people care, and fair share. So the, the first one, earth care, where you look after the earth, you, you want to live in harmony with her. She provides us with so much. She provides us with everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's only fair if we also give back to her the way that she's giving to us so unconditionally. Um, people care because we live in community, we're social beings, and it's so important to be kind and considerate. Just just be kind and considerate and, and think of others, not just thinking of yourself. And then the third ethic is fair share. So this is kind of sim similar to do with like sustainability, whereas you don't use everything up now. Like you want to be thinking about your grandchildren's children. And you also want to be thinking about all living beings, not just human beings and how we can invest in the future. And also if you have a big harvest, like where I am at the moment, there's 16 avocado trees and I can't wait to gift them to everyone. I, I, can I, can't eat eat <laughs> I can only eat one a day wow. and it's, yeah. it's that it's the gifting and receiving and it's this this natural cycle as well yeah I'd like to talk about cycles so I, what I like about permaculture is that it is a cyclical model which is very different to how we're living at the moment which is quite linear mm -hmm. like capitalism is very linear like we produce, we use, and we throw away to this magical place called away, mm -hmm. which isn't actually <laughs> away. It's just here. Yes. So then we're kind of permaculture goes back to these cyclical cycles, which we see with the moon cycle. We have all these different cycles, the night and the day. So what we, what we produce is then the waste, which is also feeding other organisms. So you've got this, you produce no waste, like there is no waste in nature. Everything has its own function, its own use, and it's providing for others, continuously providing, providing, providing. And, and yeah, permaculture completely changed my life. It gave me this solution that I was looking for so that I could be more mindful and that I could live in harmony and work with nature, 
not against her. Because what we're doing, what I see in the world is we're going against her in so many different ways. Like we're ripping her up. We're taking out the inside of her in terms of oil and mining. And we're completely changing everything just to fit our own desires. And so what I like about permaculture is that it's giving you a way to live naturally in a way that gives back to nature. And it's it's more of a simple, it's a simple life. I'm into it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because when we did first meet and I didn't know much about permaculture and you reached out one day after seeing a couple of the episodes, you're like, if you're ever interested in talking more about permaculture, it's like, you know what I am. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that also don't quite know much about it. So get ready, people. <laughs> Harriet's got the mic. Okay. So you've actually also had your hands in a few local projects here in the Dominican Republic. And one of them was working with the local schools, designing gardens with the children. So what was the typical day like for you when teaching with these children and growing and harvesting food? And what would you say was the most rewarding part of this? Mm -hmm. mm, I love working with children so much. <laughs> <laughs> children are, are very much like nature in the fact that they're very random. <laughs> so when you have an adult planting a garden or a forest, they like straight lines and they like to be very particular and they, you know, it's all very neat and tidy. Whereas if you give children a hundred trees <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> go um they'll be more like nature like they'll be super random and they'll put these trees wherever they want to put them yeah and that's exactly how mother nature works so it's really rewarding being with children so the last place i was in is called the hive in cabrera amazing place and um, that goes along with the sustainable development goals and it offers the children the chance to make their own decisions and so the kids wanted to create biodiversity in their school garden. And I was just there to facilitate their wish come true. And yeah, we would do many different activities. We made swales, which are trenches on contour, because they had um, a little slope in their garden. And if it rains, the water will just go straight away. So very similar to all cities, the houses are built so that the rain goes straight away as fast as possible. Whereas in permaculture, we do the opposite. We want the water to be as slow as possible and to spread everywhere. So it has chance to sink down into the ground because we want to build up the groundwater reserves. So yes, yeah, so we were doing all these amazing things that I have done with adults that like we made an A-frame to mark these contours. And it's, it's a huge mix of mathematics, design, biology, geology, geography, some multidisciplinary activities, I guess. Yeah, just how each day was completely different, completely different. And now I visited last week and they're harvesting the basil, the, the oregano, lots of herbs are coming up. The first strawberry came up, um, <laughs> which they all really loved. <laughs> And it's just great to see them connecting with the earth. And I taught them a new word of Pachamama, which is a Quechua word for mother nature. And um, we would be asking Pachamama if we were able to harvest the basil. And we would thank Pachamama for giving us such delicious herbs to put in our salads and to cook with. And just introducing this kind and considerate, like I said before, just introducing this at a very early stage. And if 
if the kids feel connected to the earth, they're going to grow up wanting to look after the earth because you can only really want to look after something if you love it. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think that's so wonderful. I'm so happy that you followed your heart, (laughs) you know, starting back in the beginning when you're like, I don't want to be in this institution and really creating your path for yourself. So I think that's really awesome. Thank you. So I actually want to talk about last March when the pandemic hit and one of the communities here, one of the barrios uh, was left with hunger insecurity since there were serious restrictions on people leaving their homes, meaning no one could go to work. Therefore, they didn't have money for food to provide for their families. So another group of locals acted quickly on this and organized an emergency food drop to the people in need, which quickly turned into a non-for-profit Cabarete Sustainable. And here we are one year later, and now it's transformed into also a community garden, which you've helped facilitate. And, you know, how has this experience been for you in a time of crisis and over the course of the year? And, you know, why is it so important for people to learn how to grow their own food? Yeah, we, we celebrated our first year anniversary on the 20th of April. So just two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, wow. I'm so grateful for these, these people that came together and put their heads together to create this coalition between so many different NGOs within the local community and, and yeah, put their heads together to create this Cabarete Sostenible, which at the beginning was, um, short term was to provide food for families that had no means to support themselves in this lockdown. Because here people eat hand to mouth, like at each day they, they make their money and they buy their dinner. So in most, in most situations, in most families that they only have three days worth of food. And this was a time when people were stocking up on toilet paper in England. And I was just like, whoa, this, this is so different here. Like people can't even afford to buy 12 rolls of toilet paper and they wouldn't even buy toilet paper first. Mm-hmm. They'd buy rice, they'd mm-hmm. buy uh, beans and pulses. So yeah, so last year, I remember the first two weeks in March were very wild for me, very wild. And I was so happy when someone had come to me and said, hey, we're going to start a community garden. Can you, are you willing to help? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything here. Like I need something to put my focus towards. So I would cycle most days, if not every day down to the community garden and first off we started litter picking and then we made the paths and then we were designated areas so my my area i called the glorious garden (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with with some volunteers we designed this amazing little oasis which i haven't watered in two months and it's still going so strong and the diversity there is immense and i'm so proud of what we've done and and still giving food i think next tuesday there's a food distribution and now there's a lot more exciting exciting plans in in the future because we've also been gifted a farm yeah yeah yes, so that. there's 29 29 tareas so one tarea is around 630 square meters uh, we don't work in hectares here so we've been gifted this farm which is incredibly amazing. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to start food production up there. We're going to teach the locals because it's all in their hands. Mm-hmm. Like it, This isn't me coming and telling people what to do. This is like inviting people 
who would like to learn how to grow their own food in a beyond organic way. And we'll talk about chemical yes. fertilizers later on. <laughs> um, so yeah, inviting the locals to come in and, and to grow their own food and to empower them with the knowledge. Because if you know how to grow, you know how to survive. So actually tomorrow, myself and Moraima, uh, who's the founder, the co-founder of Cabaretti Sostenible, we're going to learn about syntropic agroforestry systems. And we're so excited to be able to learn this and then gift the knowledge to other people who then will gift the knowledge further and further on. And yeah, it's just an empowering way to farm. And what is that syntropic? What did you, what did you call Syntropic it? Syntropic agroforestry. Yes. What is that? <laughs> wow. This is in incredible. a nutshell, maybe. <laughs> in a nutshell, you're planting in time and space. So you, at the beginning, most of your energy goes into creating an intelligent plan where you're going to be harvesting this year, next year, in five years time, in 20 years time, and in a hundred years time. So you plan all together this consortium. <clears throat> so you would plant, for example, you would plant, plant your corns and your beans and your yama alongside, why oh, did I say that in Spanish? Yeah, <laughs> yeah your, corn, okay. your beans and your squash <laughs> <laughs> alongside your citrus, your fruit trees, your cacao trees, your jackfruit, your, your breadfruit, alongside your timber, alongside your native trees. Like you've got the mahogany here, you've got the saber trees. And alongside, which is maybe the most important, is trees we call supporting species that you would purposely be heavily pruning. So they add the biomass. So instead of bringing cow manure and lots of straw or mulch or any external organic matter in, you're growing it alongside your rows. Ah. And so all you need to do is go along with the machete and you're chopping and dropping. So you're, what I love about permaculture and this syntropic agroforestry is that you're always looking for the most efficient ways because human beings are super lazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I speak for myself. <laughs> I'm super lazy and some other people are too. And it's always best to design so that you don't have to do that much. Right. So all of the effort is at the beginning mm -hmm. in that planting. And then it's just pruning. Yeah. You, all you need to do is prune for the rest of your life. Prune and harvest. There you go. Wow. That's so cool. I can't wait to like, yeah. see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So time and space is the, the strata, yeah, which yeah. is the vertical space. And then succession, which is time. Okay. So strata and succession, time and space. Okay. There you go, everyone. <laughs> so with that, let's talk about how, you know, farming really is all interconnected and you know, also how in mainstream society, we're essentially killing ourselves from our own food because of mass agriculture and fertilizers, et cetera. Tell me your thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah. So the, the main reason why I am in this line of work and this is what my life is about is from watching documentaries. And also I, I grew up in a, in a, in a hamlet in the Shropshire Plains of England where I was surrounded by farms monoculture, monocrop farms, which is just one species for miles. Like I can't even imagine what it's like in the States where farms are like hundreds of kilometers big. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is weird. This is strange. Why is there only one thing 
in nature, if you go in a forest, there's not just one species. <laughs> yeah. It's the complete opposite. It's hundreds of species together living in cooperation. And so I began to research a lot and also my university, university degree. This is what I studied too. So GMO is genetically modified and we're putting DNA qualities of um, spiders inside of the DNA of plants. We're pretending like we're God. We're, we're mixing things that really should not be mixed just so that they have the better yield more money, mm -hmm. that they're more resistant to plagues and pests. Yeah, it's very sad, the, the state of the, the food system at the moment. Like we're, we're eating food that has very low nutritional value and that comes from a place that's been sprayed. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to go anywhere near that spray. The people that put the spray on the crops, they're wearing these overalls, these masks and it's highly toxic. It's actually the same chemicals that were used in the Holocaust. Oh, wow. So we're, we're talking about very strong chemicals that have been created and all just to kill the pests. But really, like when you spray, it goes down into the ground. And what you're doing is that you're killing the entire soil food web, which is why humans have evolved. Mm. <laughs> so we owe everything to this soil food web. And it's, it's how life works, you know, like the plants, they take the sun, they change it into complex carbohydrates, which then they go down and through their roots and the microorganisms, they do a nice little exchange. They give the carbohydrates for some nutrients. And there's this beautiful cycle going on down beneath our feet with the mycelium. It's, it's all going on down there. <laughs> and so what we do with these chemicals is that we're eliminating every single one of those little dudes down there. Mm. And then that will seep down into the groundwater reserves, which goes into rivers and into the ocean, where even more problems are created. And actually we get a lot of our oxygen from algae. So we need our oceans to be living. We need our land to be living and it's also interconnected. So imagine if you've been eating this dead food for years and years and years, your system inside is not being optimum. It's not working at its optimum level. And the results it's creating from the excess nutrients, the, the phosphorus and the nitrogen, which is all fake, by the way. So it's like, it's like us when we're eating, um, this fake food, this processed food. It's the same for the plants. It's like they've been giving this, um, these chemicals to help them grow. But actually what they need to grow is this, this interchange from the microorganisms. Like that's the real growth there instead of being injected with chemicals just to make it seem like they're growing strong, but they're not strong at all. And so one thing that I've learned, which is the most important is biodiversity. Mm -hmm. If you have biodiversity in a complete ecosystem, you don't need to add any fertilizers or insect repellents, pesticides. You don't need to do that because you've got your ladybirds, you've got your wasps, you've got your praying mantises, you've got all of these larger predators that will eat your plagues, that will eat your pests. And you're creating this mini cycle within your own 
system. So now permaculture, you can have it in your own garden, you can have it in a balcony, you can have it on an even windowsill. And we're also, you can also have it in a larger farm. And it's a form of regeneration. It's a type of farming that is regenerative. So what we want to do for our grandchildren, we want to leave them with soil that's fertile. We do not want to leave them with a desert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just stared at each other like, holy fuck. <laughs> yes, that's so interesting. I, As you were saying all of this, I was just thinking to myself, you know, I think a lot of people are actually not even conscious of all of this. And, you know, when you walk into your supermarket, at least back in Toronto, walk into Sobeys, these Loblaws, these big superstores, and you've got these mountains of these bright red peppers and all of the vegetables. And you're not thinking to myself, is there pesticides on this? Where did this come from? Do I need to buy organic? Because you're just looking at this towering display of fruits and vegetables. And and then the whole organic aisle, it's super overpriced. And that, as we discussed before, is a privilege to be able to purchase organic. So, you know, being here in the Dominican Republic, where there are a lot of locally sourced options, not going to break the bank for you. And and you know what? I'm still buying my fruits and vegetables at the grocery store, which I'm assuming that has pesticides on this, right? So I need to find my local farmer and get that sorted out. Maybe you know someone. <laughs> but I was just, uh, the wheels were turning in my head as you were explaining all of this. And I was like, shit, like I've just been going to the grocery store, like la-di-da, not really thinking about it. I definitely like to buy my fruits from like the the fruit guys on the road. Everything's obviously organic there. But I really think this is something to think about. Mm. And you you said it. Where does this come from? Yeah. You said the question, like if you can go into the supermarket and remember to question yourself that. Where does this come from? How is this made? How did this get here? How many planes and trucks has this been in to survive, to be able to be on my plate? And like, yeah, like we said, it's a privilege, right? It's a privilege to eat organic because of the subsidies that are given to these GMO companies. Mm -hmm. And they're subsidized, they're given money to perform all of these scientific experiments to see, to produce the best seed. Whereas really like Monsanto, who's that's just one name for them. They've got many different names. I can recommend a documentary called Seed. They're very evil people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go under the pretense of, oh, we're going to save world hunger. And it's just like, well, actually you're creating so many more problems than you are solving. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion is to grow your own. Like if you can just have one pot of basil on your windowsill, that would change your life to be able to have a few leaves. And like what's really cool for urban settings as well, that there's a lot of allotments, there's a lot of community gardens. People are even growing on their roofs. And um, there's a whole movement happened in the past year, which I'm really, happy and honored to see going on people are getting their hands dirty more and and questioning that that vital question where does this come from like if if it's got more than six ingredients put that down (laughs) (laughs) and And can you even read the ingredients and understand what it is you know and what's really sad was i remember when you were speaking about the supermarkets there's like two thirds of the produce doesn't even get to the supermarket mm. because it's not that perfect pepper. It's not that perfect carrot that we 
as as consumers, like this is our responsibility now. Like, hey, you don't need it to be perfect. What is perfect anyway? Yeah. There's a there's a whole movement in the UK about wonky veg, and it's so much <laughs> cheaper because yeah. people don't want carrots that look like it's got two legs. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we need to also <laughs> change our own our own mindset and mentality of what standards we have and why. Like, who put that belief there? Totally. Yeah, the carrots. <laughs> Well, would you say that as human beings, our relationship with self affects our relationship with Mother Earth? And how would you best explain this correlation mm. to our audience? <laughs> we are the same. We are, we are the one, right? We're on this planet living as one huge living organism. And so we're, we're connected more than more than I understand. You know, I'm, I'm an eternal student. I'm continuously learning. And the more I learn, the more I realize how complex nature is and how we don't know anything. (laughs) We know nothing. And it's so recent, like um, all of this mycelium science, like the, the science that's going on under the ground. This is all very new. And yeah, what's happening in the world currently is just a reflection of what's happening within our own self and how... We don't love ourselves. We're not safe in our own body, in our own mind. And this is just a reflection of the world right now. Like the world is not safe. People are not safe. People don't love themselves. They are, hmm. it's just like a huge mirror, isn't it? And for centuries as well, like the, the, the feminine has been brutally submissed and missed out of everything. And I think that's part of it as well. Like it's mm-hmm. a very, feminine attribute is to be this loving connected with the the nature yeah and yeah and what i find really fascinating and what a lot of my workshops are about currently it's all about self-love and embodiment and i like to teach compassionate communication as well based on non-violent communication and it's that it's that second ethic it's that people care Like we need to build the love within ourselves and we need to be safe within our own body and feel so much love that fills us up. And only then we have enough love to overflow into others and nature. Mm -hmm. People, people don't think about the environment. Like you said, that it's not even in, it's not even in that front part of their brain because they're not a complete human being that is full of love and is able to see other things that's outside of themselves. So until we really fill up on our own love and be connected with ourselves, this environmental movement is going to be a slow upward (laughs) struggle. But thankfully, there's many of us around the world. There's many of us. And that's the only way that it's going to be truly sustainable by all these grassroots projects which happen bottom up. Yeah. So in the communities, this is the only, now I've got goosebumps. Oh, you do. Like this is the solution. (laughs) It's small, slow, community-based initiatives that will really change, change the world and change culture. We need, we have a climate change going on, but actually we need a culture change. 
Absolutely. Well, something else that you mentioned when we chatted the other day was something that you called climate anxiety. What's the feeling all about and how have you learned to cope and override this feeling that you've described to me, which you can describe to everybody as well? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure most of us have felt anxiety. And I remember I I was getting these same feelings, but I'm not a very anxious person. And and all of a sudden I like put the the sum together and I realized that it's because of the future. It's because of the climate crisis that we're in and how no one was doing anything about it. And it's, yeah, like my dreams would be natural disasters. I would wake up like very scared and just not knowing what is going to happen. Like I didn't want children. I didn't want to have children and bring them up in this world, which is so unsafe and unknown and yeah this climate anxiety is it's really true for a lot of people and what really helps me is planting seeds every day every day I plant a seed and it's it's not for me the seed it's a very selfless act I I thank Pachamama I thank Mother Earth for allowing me to be a seed keeper and allowing me to plant this seed in the earth. And that gives me hope. I know that I'll never eat the fruits of that mango tree or that avocado tree, but it's not about me. It's about everyone and everything, every living thing. And that's what really, like permaculture has helped. And then planting seeds every day, it gives me a lot of hope for the future and and creating a life and envisioning a life that is truly sustainable and beyond organic it's regenerative to leave things not only just as they were but better Mm -hmm. i envision a world that is community-based full of love and abundance and like everyone shares everything like you share your tools you share your washing machine you share your lawnmower you share one of you's got a mango tree the other one's got the papayas you do a trade and it's just this lovely like interchange of everything and everyone well i love that i would love to be a part of this community <laughs> you already are i know i am i'm here i'm here. <laughs> We're here um i would love to come to your community garden one day when you're when you're going and i'd love to just see you know what you've been up to and really you know come into that and see what's going on because I think what you're doing and is so amazing and you just have like this beautiful energy to you. Like when we first met, I was like, oh, I like her. <laughs> and then I just, you know, wanted to talk to you more and learn more about what you're doing. And and the thing is what you're, like you said, it's so selfless, like you're doing it for your own, well, to reduce this anxiety of climate anxiety, but also, you know, it's selfless in the way that you're planting all of these seeds each day, knowing you're not even going to eat this food, but it's for the future, the future children, grandchildren. And I think we need more people like you in this mindset thinking about these things because there will be nothing left if we don't try and do this daily. And then I'm feeling inspired to like come and plant or something. <laughs> Can I come plant with you? <laughs> yeah. And just going off what you said, like one huge change that I've done is I now think like a tree. <laughs> my my timeline is ecological like i think between 100 and 200 years wow yeah yeah and i think that is um a huge change that i've noticed like i'm not thinking in the tax year i don't think year by year i'm thinking hundreds of years time yeah. and it, it 
it's something bigger than me you know it's not it's not me it's something way bigger than mm-hmm. me and and it and it makes sense like it go back to those cycles yeah like yeah we've got year cycles yeah we've got day cycles but we also have like 500 year cycles yeah and 20,000 year cycles wow, <laughs> wow. 20,000 years. Yeah. Food, uh-huh. for <laughs> Food for thought. Food for thought. Okay. Well, we're going to head to the follow your bliss finale question. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can you share with us one positive affirmation or any encouraging life advice you'd like to share with our listeners <laughs> for season two? I've got so many. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll just go with what's here. You're an amazing miracle. Like the fact that you're here that's a miracle. That's incredible. Like what is made, your body is made of is this, all of these millions of cells and like you're your own universe in this whole bigger universe. And like, be grateful for what you have and be grateful for right now, no matter like how, how bad it seems. Like always think of what you have and be grateful for that. And just one extra one. (laughs) If you're not a hell yes, you're a no. And it's okay to have a no. And only do the things that you're a hell yes. Absolutely. I like to call those a fuck yes. I wanted to say it, but I didn't know it. It's okay. (laughs) You know, I said this in another episode. I was like, you know, if it's not a fuck yes life, like I don't want it. Like if if something like you're deciding on, if you don't feel that inside of you, that fire, like fuck yes, I'm going to do this. And then you're feeling a little, uh, and it's like, okay, that's a fuck no then. Yeah, I love it. So if you're not a fuck yes, it's a no. Yes, exacto. <laughs> well, Harriet, it was such a pleasure to have you here today on the podcast, kicking off season two, episode two. And I'm going to link some of your profile information, anything else but the you know community garden in your episode profile so people can check it out. And yeah, it was such a beautiful time here with you today. And I can't wait to see what you're up to next. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lindsay. And thank you everyone for listening. Go and plant a seed. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, we'll see you soon.